Hey, good morning. Uh, we are starting off into a brand new series today called Freshly Squeezed. Um, I walked into 2021 hoping it would be better than 2020. Um, we're not off to a good start. Uh, it was what a week, right? And uh, we're all dealing with the emotions of this week in, in such different ways. And, and even some of us in isolation are trying to process it and it's difficult. And when I thought about this series, what we should start 2021 with, the book of 2 Corinthians really came to my mind. And it came to my mind because what Paul does in 2 Corinthians is teaches us not what not to do, but what to do as Christians. So so many of us, when we think about living life, you know, what how God designed us to live, we, we fall into these traps of, we think, I should live a protected life. Don't want anything bad to happen. Or, I should live an easy life, like keep as much trouble out of my life as can. And if I can't do those, then at the very least, maybe just live a neutral life. Like don't create any waves, no ups and downs, no big waves or or deep valleys. Just try to keep it neutral. But you know what? That's not how Jesus lived. It's not how his followers lived. It's not how Paul in his letters encourages those of us who are now followers of Christ in today's world to live. Instead, Jesus called us to live lives that are purposeful, actually accomplishing something, lives that are useful, and lives that bring meaning into not just our lives, but the lives of others. And this is what 2 Corinthians is all about. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of 2 Corinthians, let me give you a just quick background. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this book. It's a letter to a church, and it's called 2 Corinthians because it's we have one other recorded letter to Corinthians in the Bible. It's called 1 Corinthians. And uh, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. He, he had helped start this church in Corinth. Uh, and he wrote this because he was hearing that they were, he needed to correct some errors and resolve some disputes that were going on in the church. So that's why he wrote 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's it's not a letter that you would read and go, oh, Paul's so nice. He's pretty, he's pretty much laying down the law. Now, we don't know exactly what happened between first and second Corinthians, but we are, we get a little glimpse of it in chapter two of second Corinthians when Paul references another letter that he wrote. And many theologians refer to this as the severe letter. And it's basically, we, we don't have it recorded in scripture. It's not in our Bible. Uh, there's not a copy that I can pull out and show you, but from what we understand about it, Paul got pretty angry and upset with the Corinthians. He was like, I told you to do this. I I gave you all the steps and you didn't do it. Things are getting worse. Things are going off the cliff. And it was a letter of rebuke and anger because nothing had changed. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, Paul probably had the right to write that letter. Sometimes when people hurt me or do things and I see them messing up and I've corrected them and they're not doing anything, whether that's somebody that I work with or family member or whatever. It's you, you want to be angry. You want to respond in anger. And maybe you've written that angry email before. And before you caught yourself, you hit send. And it's in their inbox. And you're like, you know, that's not really the tone I want to. It, it didn't really add anything to it. And that's where I think we find Paul at the beginning of Second Corinthians here. He had written this severe letter, maybe an email he wished he could have taken back. Uh, or, or put it in a different tone. He said, hold on. All I did was get angry at you. Now in Second Corinthians, what I 
want to do, it's helped to improve you. I remember when I was first starting a parent, when PJ uh, and Natalie were young kids, and I remember PJ did something wrong. I got a call from Katie, and she said, listen to what your son did, right? It's always not their child when they do wrong. It's, it's your child. But listen to what your son did. And she told me, and I'm driving home, and I was just so angry, and I just wanted to punish him. I just wanted to punish PJ to make him understand what he did was wrong. And I think that was Paul's severe letter. But as I was driving home, it was like God spoke to me. He said, Patrick, I didn't give you these children to punish. I gave them to you to parent. And I think that's what Paul came to realize here as he's writing this letter, this Second Corinthians to this church. He's like, let, let me parent you a bit. Now, I'm not just going to rebuke you and correct you. I'm going to encourage and strengthen you. And so... This is where we find ourselves uh, with the book of 2 Corinthians and why it's so important, I think, to us today because, man, we, we have been in the struggle. We've been in the midst of it and a challenge. And I don't think what we need right now is an angry rebuke and say, here's how you can do better in this and that. It, it, it's to improve, to move forward. And so let's start reading uh, 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to read a few verses here, focus in on one way that we should live uh, freshly squeezed. I'm going to talk about that concept in a minute. And so 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Right off the bat here, Paul sets out this tone of freshly squeezed. I, I don't know about you, I love freshly squeezed orange juice. Like where you crack open the orange, you turn it out or use one of those squeezes and you just, you know, it it's so good. It's so tasty, just so fresh because it it's sharing something that was fresh, completely fresh. Orange juice, I, I remember growing up, we used to have this orange juice from Concentrate. It was this big block of ice that you would take a, a rim off and it was this chunk of orange ice you would put in water and eventually melt and turn into orange juice. Not that good. It was not freshly squeezed. And I love in verse four here, he's already, Paul is laying out the groundwork for how we're supposed to live our lives. He's going to say, look, almost what he does in every chapter from one to 13 in this book, he tells us one concept that he says, you're supposed to, supposed to both experience this and express it. This is something God is going to give you, but it's also something you're supposed to give to others. And the idea that he that we're going to look at this morning, the thing we're supposed to both experience and express to squeeze out to others is the idea of comfort. Now, I don't know if there's a year we're coming off of, a time in our life where we've needed more comfort. And so I'm glad that he starts here. And I, I, I don't think he was just being prophetic for 2021. I think he knew most of us in our life to function correctly need to know that we have some level of comfort or that we can be comforted. And so I wanted to start this morning by looking at these, this verse four, five, and six, and talk about 
where the sources of discomfort come in our life and then what comfort does to that. Because he actually, in the original text, in the original language, uses three different words for this type of discomfort. In verse 4, uh, when, it, when we read it, it, it uses the word affliction, but it could also be translated tribulation. That tribulation is going to come our way. And here's what tribulation means. It is an external oppression or injustice in our life. Somebody doing something to us, bringing trouble into our life. That's what tribulation means. Somebody shows up in our life and brings trouble. You've experienced that. We, we walk through that culturally. We're all experiencing it at different levels, maybe personally, uh, you know, and in the nation, in the world where somebody shows up with trouble, brings tribulation into our life. Jesus experiences. The Pharisees did this to him all the time. They would find him somewhere, they would show up and they would bring trouble. They would try to trap him. They would do things to try to harm him. And here's what I want you to understand about this tribulation, this external oppression and injustice. People will do you wrong. It's going to happen. Intentionally or unintentionally. It's going to happen. Don't be surprised or shocked when it does. It's going to happen. I don't care what color you are, what background you are, whatever social standing you are. People will do you wrong. Intentionally and unintentionally. And it will come from friend and foe. Come from both. It's going to happen. And we can get so frustrated or feel like our whole comfort is gone because somebody brings trouble into our life. But I just want you to know it's going to happen. It happened to Jesus. It's happened to every person who's ever lived. Tribulations coming into your life. It's not It's not unique to you. And it, it doesn't make the idea that we can't still experience comfort not exist. But in verse 5, he uses a different word. Not just tribulation, but he uses the word suffering. This is another form of discomfort. And here's what suffering means. It is internal anxiety and stress. Right? pressure that we put on ourselves, how we think and how we view. And, and the best way, I, the example I saw Jesus deal with this is in his temptation, right? When when Satan took him out into the desert to be tempted, Jesus was tempted with three internal desires. He was like, make this rock bread so you can eat. He like, take care of your physical desires, this hedonistic type of temptation. And then he said, you know, what? show off, show everybody who you are, like, I, let the angels come and save you. Uh, bring your own glory. This egotistic style of making yourself want to be viewed as important. And finally, he was like, I'll give you all of this if you'll just, you know, say that I am the, the king of this realm. And Jesus again turned that away. But that was more of a materialistic temptation, right? Of, of trying to, our own desires, how do we, how do we manage our own desires? How do we deal with our own self-worth? And how do we view the worth of other, how people view us? And this is where suffering comes, this, this internal anxiety and stress in our life. And here's some things I want you to know about that. We can be our own worst tormentors. We can. We can torment ourselves as much as anybody. But we can also, we can devalue how we view ourselves to the point where we're bringing personal persecution into our life. We can think so lowly or put so much hate on ourselves because of what we've done or what we think about ourselves, what we're lacking, what we don't have, that we put this personal persecution. But we can also overvalue how others view us to the point of this detrimental comparison. Uh, 
where we're always looking at others and going, what do they think about me? How can I make them think better of me? And this creates that, what is he? Suffering, anxiety, and tension in our life. Verse six, he uses a third word here for this type of discomfort, and it's the word affliction. And this is more circumstantial. So it's misfortune and calamity that comes into our life. And so you think about it with Jesus, right? I mean, he got caught up in the, the Pharisees, right? but he goes from one day hanging out with his friends to the next day being crucified on a cross. I mean, misfortune and calamity came his way. And, and I want you to hear these truths that about the affliction, the circumstantial, not just internal and external people, but circumstantial is there are some pains that are unavoidable. They're just going to come, you know, death and taxes. We don't like either one of those, but they're, they're coming, right? We've experienced that in our lives. And, and then there are also mistakes that you can't avoid. You cannot go through life mistake-free. You can bring circumstantial, external, you know, this affliction into your life because of your own mistakes. We're, we're not perfect. None of us are. None are perfect. And, and because of our mistakes, guess what? Because no human is perfect, it's going to impact every man-made system we create. So our justice system, our policing systems, our, our, even how our church is governed and run, even how our friendships and our marriages work together, there's not going to be a perfect marriage. There's not going to be a perfect church. There's not going to be a perfect government. There's not going to be a perfect whatever because we are broken people. Affliction, circumstantial, things are going to come our way. And so discomfort is coming. This is what he's talking about. From, in verses 4, 5, and 6, he's like, you know this, but just let me remind you. There are these external people that are going to show up and bring trouble in your life. There are these internal conflicts that you have. They're going to create, you know, this tension and anxiety in your life. And then we live in a broken world where some pain is unavoidable. These circumstances are going to come into your life and bring trouble as well. So then, how do we experience comfort? And I love what Paul does here because Paul uses the word, the, the Greek word for comfort here in two different ways. He uses it, one, as a noun and once as a verb. When we go through those four verses and the word comfort keeps on showing up all the time, sometimes it's in the form of a verb and sometimes it's in the form of a noun. And I think what he's doing is he's doing a play on words help to, to here to help us understand what comfort is when it comes into your life. How do we experience comfort? I think the first way is, is like a noun. When somebody is a comfort to us. They, that, that word comfort means that you actually call them to your side. That somebody comes beside you to be present. They are a comfort. But then the word, the verb there means to comfort or to, I think the better translation would be to console someone, to bring not just their presence, but to bring then refreshment and reinforcement into your life to comfort. Be a comfort with your presence but also bring comfort with refreshment and reinforcement, which this basically means this. We never designed, or should we ever, go through pain alone. We don't go through pain alone. We go through it with each other. We go through it with God. So let me close by just asking these couple simple questions. How does God do this for us? How does God be a comfort and bring comfort? Because it's what verse 4 says, we ourselves are comforted by God. Right? That's what the last part of verse 4 says. And, and I think we learn this by going back to verse 3. 
because this is how Paul describes God. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is two things, the Father of our mercies and the God of all comfort. The first one, how, did, how is he a comfort? One, he is the Father of mercy. Father of mercy. He is present and he is there. With, and mercy means he is the manifest, manifestation of compassion and empathy. He's there. He is a Father who knows us, cares us, and knows how we're feeling, and he's there. I remember as a child, there was no better feeling than when you're feeling lost or anxious to just kind of be in your parents' presence, to be in the presence of your mom, because you just felt like they could solve it all. They knew it all. They they understood what I was going through. It's just, especially as a young, innocent child, that's what we think. And, and this is a God. God is this noun. He is our comfort. He's there. And so we never go through pain alone because God is with us in the highs and the lows. But it, it also says he's not just the father of comfort, the ever-present father. It says he is the God of all comfort. It means he has every tool in his toolbox. He's bringing comfort. The God of all comforts, whatever you need, he is willing to use. Even by sacrificing his own life on the cross. Sacrificing ultimately what he could for you. This is how God is a comfort to us. He is present and he is provider. And it is a beautiful thing for us to understand that God is now this solid thing that does not move. We are tethered to him and he is tethered to us. We are, we are his. We are a family. But he's not just with us. He's providing for us. He is present and providing. That's what verse 3 tells us. So it says that we are being comforted by God. So that's how we are experiencing the comfort of God. But then how do we do this for others? This is the freshly squeezed part, right? Because the first part of verse 4 says that we may be able to comfort those who are also in affliction. God has comforted us so that we may be able to comfort those in affliction. So how, how do we do this? I think the last verse, and we haven't read this one yet, verse 7 and I'm going to encourage, if you memorize scripture, verse 7 is a great verse to memorize. All of this section is, but I love verse 7 because it's a great reminder for us as we think about bringing comfort into other people's lives. And verse 7 says this, Our hope for you is unshaken, for that we know that as you share in our suffering, you will also share in our comfort. And there, uh, there's two things here that a noun and a verb for us to hold on to, a way that we show comfort to others. The first thing is this, what? Our hope in you is not shaken. Here's a noun. How do we be a comfort? Be hope in other people's lives. Misery may love company, but what it really needs is hope. All isn't lost. Our faith isn't unshaken. Even when others are experiencing the worst moments of their life, hope is not lost. And this is how we are Hope, where the noun of, of comfort in their life is to be hope. To go in and be present, yes, but to bring hope with us, not to bring more misery, trouble with us, but to bring hope. When you see somebody who needs comfort, the thing you can first do is be present in their life with hope. But the second thing, there's a the verb of, of being comfort here. He says that we are to share in suffering, right? And share and comfort. And this is how we bring comfort. It's to bring aid. 
We bring hope. We stand with them. But the way that we actually are a comfort again is to bring aid. This is what sharing means. A lot of times we think, well, I can't help them. I don't know what I can do. I can't solve that problem for them. No, you can't. But what you can do is aid them in working through that pain. Aid them in working through that problem. Bring hope and then be hope and then bring aid. So this is how you and I are hope. We we, we experience the hope of God by knowing his presence and knowing that he is working and providing for us. So he is doing that, which frees us up to then bring, be hope and bring aid into other people's lives. So what happens if we don't do this? And this is, I think, probably what Paul's fear letter was kind of probably hit on a lot of this of like, you're not living like this. Let me just remind you why you should live like this because God, God, God is there, his presence is there, and he's providing for you, which gives you the freedom to be hope and bring aid to people. That sounds great, but why don't we do this? And what happens when we hold on to just our comfort and think, yeah, I can't give it to somebody else in case I need it. Well, close with this. Think about this thought. You and I can never generate enough comfort ourselves to deal with all the tribulations, sufferings, and afflictions that are coming our way. We can't. We can't store up enough. We can't generate enough within us. We don't have it within ourselves to handle every tribulation, suffering, and affliction coming our way. God, the Father of mercy, God of all comforts, will always be ready to pour into you, pour into you whatever you need, which then gives you the freedom to pour into others. And if we don't do this, if we just become this ripe fruit overly juiced and, and, and we don't have we think we can just store up enough so that when bad times come my way I, I'll have plenty. Here's what it does for us. It kind of makes us fat and happy. And the word I want to tell us that it turns us into it makes us lethargic. Lethargic. Which means we have dulled senses and we're slow to respond. We have dulled senses and we're slow to respond. We don't see people in trouble. And even when we're due, we do, we're slow to get over there and help them. And instead of thinking of doing something, instead of doing something to bring aid or to be hope, we're constantly thinking about the things we should have done because we were slow to act and slow to see. When you guard your own comfort, instead of realizing true comfort comes in community with God and others, you end up missing out on all the action. You're too lethargic to see it or to even get up and do it. So, will you maybe this morning experience the comfort of God? Maybe maybe you've always thought you can generate it within yourself. Whatever comes your way, you can face it. You can churn up enough guts to get through it. You can't. You need God's hope. You need His presence. You need His provision. But you need others too. And we need to be that for others. We need to be hope and bring aid to others. If you're struggling with how to connect with the hope and the comfort of God, I'd love to talk to you about that. My email's on the screen. You can email me directly, and I'm happy to have that conversation, either via email, text, or phone call, whatever works for you. But another great way to talk about this this morning and some of the struggles or 
challenges has brought up, this teaching has brought up into your life and mind right now, is to talk about it with others. So as soon as we finish up this teaching, uh, there'll be a link in the Facebook comments where you can click on. We're going to have a Zoom conversation right now with others in our faith family about what this teaching means to us and how it's impacting us and changing maybe how we're thinking about comfort, being comforted, and, and giving comfort. You can also go to our website, new-citychurch.com slash Zoom, and the link is right there, uh, and you can click on it. And we'll be online for about 30, 45 minutes max, uh, where we just chat with one another. Hey, thanks for joining us for our online worship time this morning. I want to say a brief prayer for us, and then we'll be dismissed to our group time together. God, we're grateful for your comfort. We're overwhelmed by it. God, when we stop and think about that, we have the presence of the creator of this universe and the creator of our own lives in our lives, every moment of every day, no matter what tribulation, affliction, or suffering we face, you are there. You're that constant there. But you're not just there, God. You're providing for us as well. You're fighting on our behalf. Oh, what hope that brings us. And God, help us now to take that hope in other lives and be hope for people and bring aid where we can. Let us squeeze out comfort this week as you are pouring it in to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hope to see you in our discussion group. If not, we'll see you online next week.